Welcome to the September 6th Sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 4, verses 30 through 42, and the sermon is entitled, The Woman at the Well, The Harvest, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We are working through a sermon series in the Gospel of John. I want you to take your Bible, open it with me to John chapter 4, is where we are this morning. And as we come, we know God is going to bless us with His Word. He's going to bless us with a message. My prayer today is that He will use me in my stumbling tongue to give you the message that is perfect from Him, uh, from His perfect Word. It's an amazing thing when you think about standing in the pulpit. And I am so thankful and grateful that you join me here and allow me this privilege of opening God's Word uh, with us and to us as we gather in His presence. We're continuing in this study through the Gospel of John. I hope you're learning as much as I am learning uh, as we study through these verses. Two sermons ago, I started kind of a sub-series about a meeting that Jesus had with a woman. And the reason He had this meeting with her is because He had an appointment with her. He was traveling in ministry. He was going from southern Judea to northern Galilee. Now, that's quite a trip. That's 80 to 90 miles. There are basically three routes to get there. I described it in my first sermon. So very briefly, let me say you could travel to the west, go over by the Mediterranean Sea. It was flatter that way, and then take a turn back in to get to Galilee. Or you could go to the east and go through Perea, and then take a turn and come into Galilee that way. They both were longer routes, but most Jews traveled one of those two routes when they went from Judea to Galilee. There's a reason. Because as we Southerners say, if you travel as the crow flies, going straight from Judea up to Galilee, you travel through a land area called Samaria. Most Jews avoided traveling that route. And the reason was because there was a group of people who lived in Samaria that they didn't want to see, didn't want to associate. In fact, you could use the word hatred. The Samaritans lived as you traveled through Samaria. And yet, Jesus, it tells us in this passage of Scripture in John 4, He intentionally went through that land area of Samaria, traveling back with His disciples. And they're walking through the land of the Samaritans the land that most Jews would avoid and travel around. A mixed race of people. Some hundreds of years before, a group of Jews living there in that community of Samaria were ruled by the Assyrians. And the, Samaria, the Assyrians and the Jews got friendly and began to intermarry and produced a mixed race of half Jew, half Gentile. And so the full-blooded Jews hated this race of people. They had watered down the Jewish race, and so they were avoided at all costs. But Scripture says in John chapter 4, verse 4, that Jesus intentionally traveled through Samaria. Why did He do that? There's a primary reason. He had a divine appointment with a woman there. She didn't know it, but it was a divine appointment that would lead from her to a whole group of people. But a divine appointment with one woman there in a city gate of a city in Samaria called Sychar. And so Jesus takes his disciples and travels, travels as the crow flies from Judea up to Galilee, traveling through the city of Sychar. He meets a woman there. If you remember the story, the account from earlier sermons, Jesus 
arrives at the well, which is outside of town, very famous well called Jacob's Well. And he alone stays at that well and sends the disciples on into the city of Sychar to get food. But he stays because he wants to meet that appointment. And here she comes. It's in the heat of the day, noontime. Most people don't go to the well at noontime because it's hot. They don't want to associate with each other in the heat of the day. They don't want to draw water in the heat of the day. So most people wait until about 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the evening to go get their water for their day's usage the next day. But most of the time at noontime, the well was very unpopulated. So Jesus was there. Here she comes. It was a woman who was an outcast of the city of Sychar. She was coming to the well at that time of day so she could avoid everybody. So she didn't have to speak to anybody. And as we learn in this account, as Jesus deals with her, he says to her, I know all about you. I know that you've been married five times. Most theologians agree that she did not lose five husbands to death, but rather she lost five husbands to divorce in the way Jesus words this. She had been cast out of five marriages. Of course, a woman had no right at all to institute a divorce. It always came from the male of the relationship. Five men threw her away. Well, one woman going through divorce was a rough thing, but when you went through five husbands, that made you an outcast, a pariah to the community. So she comes to the well in the hot part of the day so she doesn't have to talk to anybody. She doesn't have to visit with anybody. But there is a man sitting on the lip of that well waiting for her. We studied their conversation at that well in verses 1 through 29 in these past two sermons. And at the end of the last sermon, last, the last time I preached, it dawns on this Samaritan outcast that this man knew everything about her life and everything about her. And she begins talking with him that she had learned that the Messiah was coming, that there was a Savior she was to be looking for. She was to keep her eyes open for the Messiah to come. Remember, she had a conversation about, we worship here at Mount Gerizim. You and, you and, and Jews worship in Jerusalem at the temple. And Jesus tells her, what you're going to learn is not so much where you worship. It's who you worship. There is a Savior. There is a Messiah. And you are to worship Him. Look at John chapter 4, verse 26. He identifies himself with her in this conversation. When the light bulb is coming on about looking for a Messiah, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. I am the Savior. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God you're speaking with. And her eyes and her mind are finally opened. It took a little bit of time. But finally, her mind is opened and her heart is opened that indeed she's talking to the Savior. And as she fully recognizes Jesus, and I believe fully receives Him as her Savior, if you remember the account, she leaves her earthly water pot sitting there by the well. Number one, it's weighty. It was very precious to a family. Every family had to have a water pot. Every family had to have this container which held the day's water for their home. But she left that precious, heavy container there so she could run into town and share not earthly water, but living water with those who lived in the town. She's kind of like an ancient Paul Revere. 
You know, as Paul Revere charges through Boston on a horse, and he's calling as he travels through, the British are coming, the British are coming. In much the same way, this woman, as she ran through this town, through group by groups of people, groups of men, she didn't stop for a conversation. She just ran by them saying, Come see a man! Go to the well and see the man who identified himself as the Savior, the Messiah. And that's where we pick up today. As we see her tracing through that town, come see a man telling everyone she went by about her experience with the Savior. As she proclaims that message about the man at the well, how do the people respond and react to her message and to her witness? Well, let's look. Turn with me to John chapter 4. We're going to begin with verse 28, just kind of set the stage. But let's read 28 through 42. Listen to these words, how this account unfolds. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the mean, while his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, There are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there Two days, and many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. God had his blessing to this precious, familiar portion of his word. So this Samaritan woman, the outcast, the pariah, runs into town with this message, and Jesus is left alone at the well. And if you remember, Jesus had sent his disciples in to get food, so as she runs in, the disciples are coming out with the food. Jesus is pretty much alone at the well as the disciples arrive back there with the food that they had bought in town to bring to him. And they know he's hungry. I remind you of this. That's proof, again, that this is the Son of God and the Son of Man. This is fully God, fully man, because he was hungry. Jesus felt every emotion and every physical 
pain and every physical need that you and I feel. He was hungry as they brought the food out to him. And they say, Master, eat something. And Jesus says something that they don't completely understand at that moment. Look at verse 32 again, John 4, 32. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Now, it's really a little humorous to me what they say at this point. Jesus says, I have nourishment that you don't know about. And the disciples look at one another and said, who brought him food? Who brought Jesus a sandwich? Because he said he had other food coming to him. But Jesus clarifies what he means here in verse 34. He says, my truest nourishment and my truest satisfaction is not a full belly. My greatest fulfillment, my greatest nourishment is finishing the work God gave me to do. Now, the primary word that I want you to catch there, I want you to underline the word in your Bible, if you write in your Bible, is finish. And you might want to put a little arrow over to the margin and write in John chapter 19, verse 30. Because Jesus says here, my nourishment, my satisfaction is to finish all the work my Father has given me to do. And if you go to John chapter 19, verse 30, on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. In other words, he had accomplished all the work God had given him to do in his earthly stay of 33 years walking the soil of this earth, primarily culminating with the shedding of his blood on that cross. The work is finished. Now, if you remember, if you go to the very end of the Gospel of John, John, the Gospel writer, the disciple, says, if I wrote down everything that Jesus did in his ministry on earth, the whole world could not contain the books. So Jesus accomplished much, much ministry over the course of his short life on this earth, but he finished what God gave him to do, and it was finished on the old rugged cross when he gave himself for us. Now stop there for a second. Because what Jesus says about himself applies to you and to me. When Jesus says, I want to finish the work God has given me to do, I want you to realize that we too have work to do. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, He has you here, you woke up this morning, you have this day, and every tomorrow that God gives us to finish His purpose for your life. There's a reason for us to be together. There's a reason that believers get up every day. You know, this world would teach us that if we're going to be successful, here's the world's definition of success. You are successful if you pack up a bank account with money. You are successful if you have some form of worldly fame. You are successful if you have the newest car and the biggest house. You're termed successful. Jesus says no. The greatest success and the greatest satisfaction is not what you do in an earthly sense, but what you do to fulfill the purpose of God in your life. <laughs> That's our purpose. The world says your storehouse and your stomach ought to be full. 
But do you know the common thread that runs through the richest people of the world? The more they get, the more they accumulate, they realize the less they're satisfied. Because things won't satisfy you. Stuff will never bring true happiness, true fulfillment, and true peace. The more you have, the more you know you want. And you're never, never satisfied. It's a vicious cycle. And what Jesus is saying here is important about himself, but it's important about us as well. A full belly and all the things of the world will never satisfy any single person. You will only find true nourishment, true peace, true satisfaction at the end of the day by working toward finishing what God's plan is for your life. I said this in the early service this morning off the cuff, but now that I've passed six decades, I realize that my life has really taken on the intention of finishing what God has put me here to do. And I believe one of the greatest things God has put me here to do in this particular phase of my life is to plant the seeds of the gospel in two little boys' lives that call me Papa. Along with a church ministry and all the things that God allows me to do in my life, I realize that I have an intentional purpose, and I am to pursue that purpose until the day Jesus takes me home. True for every one of us. Pursue your purpose. The best prescription we can get for true happiness is to get our eyes off of the earthly stuff and do what Jesus tells us to do in fulfilling his plan for our life. Well, as Jesus and his disciples stay at that well in the heat of the day, that woman is in town. She is making her way through that town. She is sprinting through that town, and she is spreading the message that all need to come see the man at the well. Friends, I want you to understand, remember this woman had a reputation in Sychar. She was the outcast. She was the pariah. She was the one five men had thrown away. She was the one who was living with a man in town. Everybody knew her. And yet when she charged through the town with this message, everybody was saying, what has changed her? She used to avoid us. Now she has news that she wants to tell us. And we know what changed her was the Lord Jesus Christ. But their curiosity is peaked now. They are wanting to know who changed her to be like she is now. So all of these people, and it says in Scripture she's passing groups of men. Well, that's what men did in the day, especially the heat of the day. They pull aside from their work and they congregate, and they meet together. So Scripture specifically says that she's running by groups of men, which again is unusual for her. Most of the men she avoided. But she's running by them saying, Come see the man. Go to the well. See the man who knew everything about my life. So all of these people begin streaming out of town. They're leaving the city gates, and they're coming out to where Jacob's well is. It's not inside the city. It's outside of the city. Jesus now, of course, has his disciples there at the well, and he says, look, boys, look. Look coming through the gates. Look at all those people headed our way, coming to meet us, coming to meet me. Off in the distance, here comes the crowd through the city gate. 
In John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus says, Look, coming to us, lift up your eyes, because the field is white for harvest. I told the early group this morning, and this absolutely came to me as I was preaching the sermon, but I remember when I was a child in Sunday school that a Sunday school teacher in teaching through this passage said, one of the things that Jesus meant by that, of course, this is a hot part of the year. It's the heat of the day. So most of the people who wore clothing in that day in the robes that they wore, wore light clothing. And so my Sunday school teacher, and I've never forgot it, said, as that crowd was coming through the city gates, all of those, they were hurrying, and all of those robes were kind of in the wind. And Jesus pointed his disciples that way and said, look, the fields are white for harvest as they're coming, and all of those white robes were in the wind coming toward them. But the meaning is deeper than that. In the last Southern Baptist Conservatives of Virginia meeting, the annual meeting last year in November, there was a great preacher there. Uh, he's also the director of Guidestone Annuities now, which means he takes care of my retirement money. His name is O.S. Hawkins. He was pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, one of the biggest Southern Baptist churches in America. But we had an informal meeting with him. Some of the leaders and some of the pastors met with him later in the evening after the big official meetings were done. And he told this story in this informal setting. He said, I, he said, I was a brand new young 20s pastor. I had my first church, and it was in the Midwest. So many crops in the fields on this flat land out in the Midwest and he said there was an old farmer church member who loaded me into his truck and took me around to show me all the sites and where people lived and I immediately thought about Morris Thomas you know Morris Thomas did the very same thing for me back when I was a early 20 something and he loaded me up in his pickup truck and took me around Clifford and Amherst and showed me where people lived well this farmer did the same thing for O.S. Hawkins but they rode by a wheat field that the farmer owned, that the farmer harvested. And the farmer said, O.S., when that wheat tassels out and when that field turns white, it's time for the harvest. But I tell you this, if I let that wheat field at the moment of harvest sit for too many days, the wheat will rot and it will be lost and it will die. I have a window of time that I have to perform the harvest. If I don't do the harvest in the window of time, the harvest will be lost. And Jesus looked at that crowd of people coming out of the gates of Sychar, and he says, the fields are white for harvest. Disciples, today is the day to harvest these souls in salvation. And the harvest today cannot be put off to another tomorrow or to another month. It has to happen today. We have that window of time. And it tells us in Scripture he stayed there two days within that harvest to bring those souls to the kingdom of God. But basically what Jesus is saying is we can't put this off. It has to be done now. It has to be done in a timely way. Because if we put this off, if we put the harvest off today, most likely they will die. Let's not miss our window of opportunity. Here's another interesting statement of Jesus. 
as the crowd now is encroaching, getting closer and closer to the well, Jesus tells his disciples this. Look at John 4, verses 37 and 38. These are his words, speaking to the disciples now. He says, and herein is that saying true. One soweth, and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. It seems that in these words that Jesus speaks to his disciples, that somebody else had been to Sychar already. That someone had come to Samaria and to this area and had planted seeds of the gospel of the Messiah coming. Who could that have been? Well, this area is very close to the wilderness where John the Baptist lived. And it is very probable that some of his followers or maybe John the Baptist himself traveled through this area because he was the forerunner of Christ and planted the seeds that a Messiah is on the way. And a Messiah is coming through this area, and it's going to be soon. Watch for him. So John the Baptist, perhaps, or maybe some of his disciples, someone had come through that area and said, watch for the Messiah. He's coming. And they planted the seeds of the gospel there. That's what Jesus is telling his own disciples. But Jesus says, other men have labored Other men have come through here, and they've planted seeds of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And now we're here to reap the harvest that they began by planting the seeds. We're here to harvest this crop of people. Ladies and gentlemen, this applies to us in a very, very deep way. Whether you're at the one end of the spectrum of life or the young end of spectrum. This applies to every one of us who believes Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Every day, no matter who you are, no matter where you go, your words and your attitude and your actions can be planting seeds for Jesus Christ as Savior. That's part of our purpose together, is to plant seeds in the world The gospel of the living Lord Jesus Christ. Now, maybe the harvest doesn't automatically come the moment you plant the seed. Maybe the harvest of that soul is going to be somewhere later down the road as we see the evidence here in John chapter 4. Maybe people seeing our witness don't immediately come to Christ, but we've planted the seed of the gospel that's going to take root and grow and come to fruition in salvation one day to come what happened in Sychar. But we always must be intentional and looking for the ways that we are to plant seeds of the gospel in people's hearts. We'll trust Him for the harvest. It may come later, but we'll trust Him that the harvest will come as we plant the seeds. And according to the Scripture here in John chapter 4, the impact of this woman running through town giving this good news, announcing to people, you need to go to the well, you need to come see a man who told me everything about myself. Her impact is amazing in the town. She is the one who energized everybody to leave town and go out to the well to see who's there. Her witness carried an amazing effect. People in Sychar 
began to believe that the Messiah and the Savior was there at the well because of her message and because they saw her changed attitude in life as she went through town that day. And so Jesus stayed there in Sychar for two days for the harvest. And what happens? Well, look at John chapter 4, verses 41 and 42. And many more believed because of his own word, Jesus' own word. Now, here's the townspeople. They say unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So the harvest in Sychar that day and the next day was huge. So many people came to Christ as Lord and Savior. Many Samaritan people were given eternal life in that two-day spread of time. It started, first of all, by the witness of this woman going through town, but then the word came back to her. Your witness helped us. Your witness got us to him, but his word saved us. He is the one who gave us life. You stirred us to go, but the Savior gave us life. Only he gave us life. A few years ago, a man made contact with me who was a regular listener to our radio ministry. And he got in contact just to say, I listen to you every week. And I hear what you have to say, and you have, dip, you have deepened my walk with Jesus as my Savior. And we met several times together by texting. But as I talked to him, I learned through that correspondence that he had been in prison for some time, that he had finished paying his debt, that he had been released, and he was living somewhere in this general area. But in our conversation, he said this, I thank God for a chaplain who was in the prison system when I was there because he shared with me the good news of Jesus Christ. And then finally, this man said, and that chaplain saved me. Well, I didn't know if that was a grammatical error or not, but I gently corrected him in saying, no, the chaplain led you to Jesus. The chaplain gave you the word about Christ. The chaplain opened the Bible so you could see that Jesus loves you, that he went to the cross for you, that he rose from the dead for you. But the moment you came to Jesus, the chaplain didn't save you. Only Jesus can save you. So as you talk to your friends, you know, only Jesus can bring new life. The, the chaplain planted the seed. But Jesus is the one who reaped the harvest. He's the one who gave you eternal life. Believers today, the account of the woman at the well lives on. And it, it truly does speak to you and to me. When we leave these front doors of Clifford Baptist Church today, or streamers, when you close down uh, the computer and the television stream and you walk out into the world, I'm going to tell you, wherever you walk from, wherever your front door is, you're walking into the fields of harvest. You're walking into a world, as Tommy said in his opening prayer this morning, that is desperately needing the word of Jesus Christ. It is a tough mission field. 
but it is a mission field, white for harvest nonetheless. And we walk into that world today in just the next few minutes. And we go to plant seed. We go to share the gospel. I want to tell you a fact. People look at you and me. And they're looking to see what Jesus looks like through us. They're looking to see what's different about this believer that I need. They're looking for the Savior in us. They are drawn to Jesus by what they see in us. And the greatest satisfaction and the greatest contentment and fulfillment comes in life when we realize that our purpose in life is to walk into the harvest, planting seeds and harvesting souls. That's what Clifford Baptist Church is all about. Boil all of our ministry down. That's what it's about. Putting people in the harvest to plant seed and harvest souls. That's what we're here for. Believer, I want you to think about your own family. I want you to think about your children and your grandchildren. Your nieces and your nephews and the extended family. I want you to think about your co-workers and your circle of friends. I want you to think about all the people who cross your path through the week, even strangers. And rededicate your life to the harvest. Rededicate your life to planting the seeds. Rededicate your life to reaping the souls when you have that opportunity to speak that word of invitation to Christ. We're supposed to labor in the fields. And we can't let the earthly things of life, all of us have to work and all of us have to pay our bills and maintain bank accounts. I, I, I don't take away from that. I, I do the same. But don't let that drown out what your purpose is. Plant the seed. Watch that you're walk, walking in the fields of harvest that are white. Would you rededicate your life today? Say, Lord, in the midst of all of my busyness of life, a lot of you are raising children, and I know how busy that section is. Don't let anything take my eyes off what my true purpose is. Let me finish what you gave me to do the moment I said yes to Jesus. Let me finish well. And don't let anything take my eyes off of following you. One last thing. If you are here today or you're connected by streaming today or in a parking lot on an FM signal today, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, I want you to know this. I cannot save you. There's not a thing I can do from this pulpit that I could save you. I am nothing more than a sinner saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But I want to lead you to Him. And I want you to know that you're a sinner too. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. But there's a Savior who wants to save you. A Messiah who wants to give you life. I want to bring you to Him. I want to bring you to His feet. He gave me life and purpose and family and home and ministry and satisfaction. And He wants to give you a satisfied soul as well by being your Savior. If you need Him, don't put the decision off. You come today.
If you're far away from the sanctuary, Clifford Baptist Church, come to him today. Come to him now. Say yes to him as your Savior. Lay your sin down before him and say, Lord, I am sorry for what I've done. But I know through the cross you can forgive me and will forgive me and accept me as your son, your daughter. I'm coming right now. Believers, through the week, will we be planting those seeds of the Savior's love in this world, white for harvest? Church home, healing, whatever you need, that Savior meets us here just as really as he met that woman at the well at Sychar. He's right here with us now if you need him. In fact, if you're not here, he's with you wherever you are, and he's meeting you right now. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, Thank you for these moments, Lord. Thank you that they bring us to the foot of the cross and the foot of a Savior. And we know, Lord, that we as believers live in the fields that are white for harvest. Help us to be planting seed. Father, when we have the opportunity, help us to speak a word for Christ that would lead a soul to you as Savior. But help us, Lord, never to take our eyes off what our true purpose is, to finish the work that you gave us when we came to Christ as our Savior. Bless us. Bless that one who needs you as Savior and Lord. He or she can come right now, this moment, and be assured of eternal life when they say yes to you as Savior. Bless us, Lord, we pray, in the mighty name of our Lord and the Messiah of God, Jesus Christ. We pray in Him. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.